Hello, everybody, and welcome to Aligning America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and let's get right into things. I apologize for last week's non-episode. I uh, had a plenty of stuff clogging up the pipe and we just had to, had to cut it, so I apologize. However, we are jumping right back in on a very, very important week. You may all have heard, and I, I would hope you have heard, the story we are going to be covering today. And you will note I said story, not stories. Uh, yes, we will only be covering one story today because I think it is the only thing worthy of talking about right now, not to belittle other struggles across the world, but I think it is it is time we address the elephant in the room. Today's episode will center largely around the Palestine and Israel conflict. I think it's it's somewhat obvious why I've chosen to dedicate this episode to the conflict, and I think a lot of people have been redoubling their focus on it, especially with the outbreak of violence of this past week between Hamas and the IDF. It just it's not a gauge of whether one is left or right. It's not a gauge of whether one believes in big or small government. It's none of that. It doesn't come down to politics. It can't be quantified in, in ideological terms. What it is is a conflict. What it is is a two state problem that was created post-World War II as a, a reparation to a ethnic group that had suffered immensely, that had suffered from persecution for the past thousand years previous. And this was the solution. However, it was short-sighted. It was not well thought out as just because one group suffered immeasurably does not mean that you then get to say, congrats, you get a new country uh, right on top of where a country already stands. Because quite obviously, that is going to create conflict between the new and old citizens. And without removing one of the groups, either the Palestinians or the Israelis, you're going to have conflict. There's always going to be a persistent notion of invader or settler or colonizer. And especially as the world has broadly moved towards a more democratic way of thinking since then, it has started to show the cracks in that solution. It started to show the problems with that approach. Uh, they become quite highlighted, as we, we all may note. Of course, as I said earlier, there is no easy solution. Otherwise, I wouldn't be needing to make this episode. There would be no conflict that we would have just solved it as this has been going on historically for decades now. This conflict is, at least in modern terms, quite ancient. There have been many iterations of this conflict. There have been many aggressors and defenders, sometimes a multinational coalition. You look to the Seven Days War and you can see, you know, multiple Islamic or, or at least native states attacking Israel over its position. There's been open hostilities between Israel and pretty much every state in the uh, the Middle East. Yeah, you, you would expect that there's still conflict. It's, it's largely between a terrorist group based in Gaza called Hamas and a, a group you may not have heard of uh, known as the Israeli Defense Force. This is the official armed military of Israel. They cleverly name themselves the Israeli Defense Force. It is meant only for defense, but that is quite easy to get around when you claim the other guys are on your homeland and then any aggression or conquest then inherently and retroactively is qualified as defense. Very clever, very smart. The Iron Dome, if you do not know, is a ballistic missile interception system that is set up over Israel and it is what is largely keeping the Israeli populace safe. Yes, there is small arms fire going on between Palestinians, the Hamas group attack aggressors, and IDF members on the ground. However, largely most of the conflict has been through missiles, 
medium to short range, traveling through the air as they tend to do and killing many, many people, largely also destroying property, which we'll get to in just a second. But it is aggression on both sides, which is difficult because we like to compartmentalize in our minds. We like to think that it's one side attacking, one side defending. It makes wars quite binary. It makes it quite easy. In a lot of situations, it was an attacker and defender. However, in this situation, it's it's a lot more like a soccer game. Both sides are defending and, and both sides are attacking. However, in this position, you're looking at a bunch of 13-year-olds playing soccer against uh, you know Manchester United or something. It, it's not a fair fight. And that's largely where the divide stems from. You look at Israel moving forward, bombing Palestinian homes and, and Palestinian commercial areas. And they are justifying this by saying, well, Hamas has military bases in and around the area. This may be true. But if you look at a Hamas military base and then you look at the Israeli Defense Force, you'll notice some stark non-similarities. One, the IDF is largely funded by Western military complex, that being the United States, some British and some French support as well. It is these massive arms dealers on a, on a global scale that are funding and providing billions of dollars of support for nothing other than Israel's defense. If you look at Hamas, they receive funding through a number of terrorist organizations, but that's it. They're not getting billions of dollars. I, I, obviously, we can't quantify exactly how much monetary aid they've received internationally, but it's not billions of dollars. I can tell you that much right now. Israel has the Iron Dome. Palestine does not. And this is where you start to see the, the similarities as the few that they have, both being aggressors, both being defenders, absolutely get wiped away when you look at casualties. You look at people who are actually threatened by the action. Because yes, if Hamas launches rockets straight at Jerusalem, versus Israel launching rockets into Gaza, I can tell you which ones are going to land and which ones won't. The Iron Dome will protect Israel. Hamas has no such apparatus. They, The citizens, those surrounding them, those who are not often uh, you know, supporting of Hamas, those who are just having to live their lives in Gaza, uh, mind you, this is a part of Israel, or rather a part of Palestine, geographically speaking, as the area is called Palestine. There's no argument there. Please don't say it's, you know, bias or anything. That's literally geographically what it's called. In Palestine, uh, you'll note that a lot of these families have been living there for generations. So if you're living in Gaza and that's where your family has lived for the past three generations throughout the entire history conflict of, of Israel versus Palestine, you don't have. Why should you be forced to move? You shouldn't. You should be able to live your life where you want to live your life. That's fine. Now, if you're in Gaza, and a missile comes down and Israel says, well, we were aiming at Hamas. I'm sorry we missed. Or we were aiming to interrupt Hamas's communication line, which means we had to bomb this apartment complex. Well, that's what they're going to do. And it's not fair to the citizens of Palestine that they should be punished for the actions of a terrorist group. Obviously, you cannot make that claim, however, for Israel, as there is resounding Israeli support for the IDF. And the IDF is bombing multiple citizen targets, which we'll get into just a little bit. And it, it's reprehensible. I will make this clear now. I believe that in this situation, there is no right party. There is a, neither Israel or, or the Hamas group are in the right. But if you're looking at Israel and Palestine, Palestine is the one who is getting the short end of the stick here. Palestine is the one that deserves the international support they're getting. And I think that should be obvious to pretty much everyone, because, again, 
As I mentioned earlier, there are similarities in, in parts of the conflict. Hamas and Israel are both shooting rockets at each other. They're both aiming for the destruction of the other state. But what you'll also note is one of them has international funding for their military complex and also has the support of not only the citizens, but the government in these actions. It's reprehensible and it's inherently terroristic and it is obviously neo-imperialism that is is being permitted on some basis of either financial support that the U.S. desires an ally in the Middle East. And then for the rest of the world, it can just be too complicated to get into. It can be difficult to stake your claim, uh, especially surrounding the stigma of hating Israel. It's all too common to be accused of anti-Semitism as it is a nation state surrounded or rather defined by its ethnicity, its, its citizenship ethnicity. They are Jewish people who follow the Jewish religion. You do not see ethno states like this anywhere else. And if they do, uh, you, you could look to a, a similar all Shia Muslim or all Sunni Muslim countries uh, like Iraq or Iran. Now, granted, they had notable minorities of the other Muslim sect. However, these other theocracies are obviously, once again, largely ethno states that are, are, are bent on imperialism. And again, we have chastised and been against them for all of history, or at least modern history. And I don't see why that should change for Israel. It shouldn't be an exemption to the rule, in my harsh opinion. And, and I understand that that does not make me popular with a lot of people, especially neoconservatives who believe in international intervention for the United States and our military policy. But I just disagree with that just straight up. And we can talk about that some other time. As for the story, this conflict was reignited by the month of Ramadan. And the IDF felt that the Palestinians were having too much fun. Now, that may be a bit of a, a cruel joke at the expense of Israel, but I'll say this much. The only reason the conflict started was because Hamas, who regularly launches rockets into Israel, which are deflected and neutralized by the Iron Dome, once again launched rockets. However, this time it was during Ramadan and Israel didn't want to let it stand. And this conflict was reignited. It happens all the time. And you look at the past 20 years, you'll see up to 10,000 casualties on the Palestinian side and around 100 at most looking at depends on the sources, but about 100 at most for the Israelis. So that's a 10 to one at least could be up to a 20 to one, depending on the sources used. So it's not close. Again, there are they love to pull the similarity card in the media, but it's just not true. There's a clear and obvious line between the reality and how they want to paint it. And so the world is, is focusing. The world is starting to realize what is going on in, in Palestine and Israel. And they're starting to speak up, which is good because all too often this, this decades-long conflict is largely ignored by the rest of the world, excluding the United States, who always and unconditionally has supported Israel in the past. This time, however, the prime minister, Netanyahu, has gone on state media and said there is no end in sight to this conflict. The only end in sight is Israel victory and the removal of the Palestinians. Now, that sounds a lot like an ethnostate to me. That sounds a lot like imperialism to me. That sounds a lot like all those things that they refuse to be accused of. He, he just outright said it. He really didn't, um, didn't really have any wiggle room there. He's just going for it. And that's quite obviously pretty horrible. But what was interesting was immediately after being a parliamentary system of government in Israel, there is a group that was trying to seek peace and reconciliation with the Palestinians immediately after these attacks and this, this conflict was reignited. Absolute disintegration of public trust in that movement. All of it. 
there was an Islamic party inside Israel, almost all of their favor instantaneously gone. There was a whisper of an alliance between one of the far left or more left-leaning centrist parties and the Islamic party to try and reach a peace deal with Palestine. But that evaporated once this conflict began and approval ratings have soared for Netanyahu for the average Israeli. And that's unfortunate because quite obviously it shows that they believe that they're in the right here. They believe this is what must be done. And it's hard not to when you have martyrs on both sides. It's very easy to say, well, this person's dead or this person didn't die. These things, it's quite easy to stir up emotions, especially nationalistic fervor in a moment like this. And so, of course, you're going to see absolutely no movement towards alignment, no movement towards a handshake. They're looking for blood. And that's exactly what they're getting. Just recently, Israel launched rockets into Gaza and actually exploded the Associated Press's office buildings there. Now, you'll note media attention has been very critical of both sides here, but it has largely favored Israel. It has largely favored Israel for the past 50 years, and it's just how it goes because they're a Western ally. They're an ally of the United States, and that's exactly what they expect. They expect favorable treatment because of that. They've been propped up for over 60 years now. I mean, that's just how history has played out. That's just how it's gone. You'll note now, however, when your office buildings are being bombed, it's difficult to write favorable pieces on Israel and hit pieces on Palestinian terrorists when that office is bombed and the people there may or may not have been killed. And these atrocities continue with, quote unquote, again, no end in sight. Thank you, Netanyahu. So it, it's definitely drawing international ire and it's drawing media ire, which is not something we have seen in any of the previous iterations of this conflict. And it's certainly a new bend to a very same old situation. And it could end up leading to more international effort as a coalition to stop the conflict and to provide a real solution, though, of course, that would require serious divisive action that I'm not sure any state is in the position to truly bring down at this point, especially with COVID and many other, you know, economic depressive arguments there. It's it's not looking like that's what's going to happen. However, you know, you can't rule it out. You, You never can. And it would be interesting to see if this is the time, the moment that Israel brings out too much firepower against the media. This could be the moment that it changes. And the minute the media is against you, I, we've, we've seen it time and time again. It's very easy to then become the bad guy because in the media, you are the bad guy and that's who shapes public perception. So it's possible, yes, that there could be serious changes coming in the future, but it's going to take a while, especially with Netanyahu's comments. And of course, the terrorist group Hamas is not going to negotiate at all. They're a terrorist group. Surprise. They don't want to negotiate. Their negotiation is Israel has to be destroyed. And then we'll stop fighting. Well, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So I have a feeling there won't be peace on either side for quite some time. You'll note, however, looking at casualties, Israeli casualties are up to around 10. Palestinian casualties are up to around 197. 58 of those being children, which is just an astounding number and an astounding statistical, actually kind of incredible in a horrifying way. So you can see why Palestine isn't keen on giving up now. You can see why Israel might not be keen on giving up now. You've got dead on both sides, and it it doesn't look like your side is the winner. Likewise, it doesn't look like your side has had justice served. But it is difficult. And of course, everyone understands this. There's a reason it's called the Palestinian and Israeli conflict and not the Palestinian Israeli war. It's because it's been going on forever, and it doesn't have an easy solution. The easy solution is the removal of one of the two states. But there has been an international agreement uh, over and over again 
that the two-state solution is the only way to go. We've seen it with Nixon and his attempts to negotiate peace between Palestine and Israel. We've seen it with multiple Israeli and multiple Palestinian politicians coming forward, claiming to want peace from both sides to have a two-state solution. Then again, historically, the settlements that Israeli has been setting up and pushing deeper and deeper into Palestinian land, the occupation of, of the Golan Heights and Gaza and even the West Bank, it just goes to show that, yes, they can say everything they want, but historically speaking, both sides are keen on continuing the conflict until they've reached their divisive end. And that's just not possible. Given the climate, it's it's just not going to happen. And finally, as a, a short note here, Qatar, Egypt and the United States have all attempted to broker a deal of peace in this current iteration of the conflict. Of course, none have gotten anywhere. All three were shot down pretty much instantaneously by both sides. So it's not really uh, something worth noting as a possible solution in the future. But again, it is it is definitely something that uh, has to be kept in mind. It's definitely something that you may want to think about. You know, those three, especially being wealthier nations that are interested in international peace for one reason or another, usually commercial. These countries could be the solution or at least the broker of a solution in the coming months, years, whatever it takes. But I wouldn't hold your breath. Thank you for listening through to the end. We'd really appreciate it if you check us out at Aligning America on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes, changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.